Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your psalms. We pray that they would teach us as we pray them, as we memorize them, as we recite them, that they would become the language of our hearts and enable our hearts to make the ascent to your holy mountain. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So through Lent, we've been going through the psalms that are appointed for each Sunday morning. And the Psalter is, this, is an enormous book. I mean, it's 150 of these songs. So we're only getting a little cross-section. But I encourage you to go deeper, to let this sermon series kind of drive you deeper into that book. Because as Father Jonathan told us in the first sermon of this series, they represent a kind of revealed language for our experiences and our emotions with God. We're meant to memorize them, to recite them, to sing them, to pray them, and to meditate on them over and over again so that this language becomes the language of our heart. So that its praises and its thanksgivings and its laments become our praises and thanksgivings and laments. And as we pray these songs, our hearts, our loves, our fears, our joys, and our sorrows over time are refashioned and renewed by them. These songs are actually God's instrument for the renewal of our inner selves. As N.T. Wright has put it, sing these songs and they will renew you from head to toe, from heart to mind. Pray these poems and they will sustain you on the long, hard, but exhilarating road of Christian discipleship. I commend them to you this morning. Read through them, pray through them, memorize them, meditate on them. So this morning we're turning our attention to Psalm 122, which falls at the beginning of a section of the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent encompass Psalms 120 through 134, so you can create a bracket there. This is a special section of the Psalms. And these 15 songs were sung possibly in sequence by Hebrew pilgrims as they processed to Jerusalem. You see, faithful Jews were supposed to make three annual pilgrimages to the city of Jerusalem to make their sacrifice. Exodus actually stresses this two different times. Three times a year, all of you are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel, to make sacrifice. And when the capital was moved to Jerusalem and the temple was built, this command meant that every faithful Jew was to process to Jerusalem three times a year for these pilgrimages. And these, these festivals, these three festivals were established as a time of pilgrimage to the temple. Now a pilgrimage for the Israelites was not a kind of aimless wandering. It was an errand of sacred religious devotion and the arduousness of the path that you walked as a pilgrim reflected the arduousness of the commitment that you were making of your own heart to the Lord. So what you were doing with your body reflected what you were supposed to be doing with your heart. You see? And these pilgrimages took place at three great worship festivals. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread or Passover, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover commemorated the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. Pentecost celebrated the culmination of the exodus at Mount Sinai when Moses received the law and the Israelites covenanted with Yahweh. And the word Pentecost itself comes from the Greek word for 50. 
And it actually refers to Exodus 19, where the text tells us that Israel arrives at Sinai 50 days after the Passover. The Feast of Tabernacles commemorated God's protection of the Israelites as they camped 40 years in the wilderness. And it was celebrated by the Israelites living in tents or booths around the temple for seven days of this feast. So the Exodus, the giving of the law at Sinai, and the preservation of the Israelites in the wilderness. Each of these feasts commemorates a central, dramatic, defining event in the life of Israel. And each one of these feasts culminates in a solemn assembly in the temple. Our psalm this morning references that assembly. It's a solemn assembly in the temple, accompanied by sacrifice and renewal of covenant vows. The pilgrim dedicates him or herself again to the Lord. So these psalms of ascent had this crucial place in the life of Israel. They were the accompaniment to these critical feasts in the life of Israel every year where the Israelites remembered that they were slaves in Egypt, but that they were delivered by the mighty arm of the Lord, where they remembered that they were called to become a kingdom of priests and to demonstrate the wisdom and the magnificence of God through his law. They celebrated their protection in the time of their deepest vulnerability when they were in the desert, when they relied exclusively on God for their food every single day. So these are magnificent psalms. They commemorate these specific moments in the life of Israel. But why are they called Psalms of Ascent? It's kind of a strange name. This is actually because topographically Jerusalem was the highest city in all of Israel. So pilgrims making their way to the city would spend most of their time actually literally ascending. But as Eugene Peterson points out, this ascent is not just a literal ascent. There's actually also an internal ascent going on, an ascent of the heart. Here's what he says. The trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upward toward God, an existence that advanced from one level to another in deepening maturity. That's what these psalms are designed to facilitate in you and in me and all of those who pray them. So you see, pilgrims enacted with their bodies what they were committing to with their hearts and confessing with their lips. The pilgrimage to Jerusalem was an upward ascent to the temple, to the place where God's presence dwelled, to the place of blessing, the place of protection, the place of judgment, and also the place of forgiveness. And the pilgrim interiorized this ascent and made an ascent in their hearts to the Lord, devoting themselves over and over again, three times a year for an entire life. I mean, this is a serious commitment that the Israelites made every year. And these pilgrimages to the temple were a high point for the entire year. They were actually the interpretive matrix for the rest of the year. These pilgrimages ground and give meaning to the rest of their lives. And so our psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. To Jerusalem the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. These specific events that these pilgrimages commemorated, that was the meaning of life for the Israelites. 
the whole of their lives could only make sense within this framework that the pilgrimages reminded them of and allowed them to participate in again afresh. Because of his love for this city, because of his love for the Lord, the psalmist prays for the peace of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem would be protected. Now, I know most of you know this, but peace or shalom in Scripture is a much richer term than it is in our contemporary understanding of the word peace. It's not merely the absence of conflict, but it's wholeness, integrity, it's righteousness, it's flourishing. Shalom is not just the gift of God. It's the presence of God himself. When God comes and is present among us, that's when shalom is there. Because when God comes, he judges the nations. He destroys the evil works that desecrate and wreck that shalom. And he fills the earth with his presence, which is life itself. He is called the living God in Scripture. And he gives his peace with his presence. So the psalmist here is praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And therefore he's also praying for the presence of God within it. Lord, let your shalom come to Jerusalem. Now you need to know this about Hebrew poetry. Which is of course what the psalms are. It has this distinctive characteristic that differentiates it from much classical western poetry. Which is the device of parallelism. Parallelism slows the reader down through a series of repetitions. And it forces the reader to tarry with a thought, to unpack its dimensions and its meanings at greater length. It can highlight a contrast. It can intensify a meaning. It can develop a thought in a number of different directions. In this passage, we see this thought being developed in a number of different directions. This thought about the peace of God coming to Jerusalem. And so in verses 6 through 9, the psalmist uses this technique. And the particular kind of parallelism that he uses is called ascending parallelism. It highlights the intensity and the ardor of his desire for the well-being of his city. And the whole thing kind of plays on this pun that is introduced in verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why is that a pun? Because Jerusalem itself, the name means city of of peace. You see? So he says, pray for the peace of the city of peace. You get me? Psalmist is urging us to pray for the peace of the city of peace. And then he says, for all of those who love the city of peace, peace be upon them. And then he gives us the second parallel. Peace, shalom, be within your walls. May your towers never fall. What does he mean by that? Jerusalem, be strong, but also, metaphorically, be upright, have integrity, be full of the righteousness of God. And then he gives us the third parallel. The fullness of communion is in the city of peace. My brethren, my relatives are there. And therefore, he says, peace be within you. And then the final parallel, and the most crucial one, remember we're spiraling upward in this ascending parallelism. The final and most crucial parallel comes in verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God. In other words, because God's presence is there, the fullness of blessing and abundance and joy, therefore I seek the shalom of this city. 
This is a rich meditation here in verses 6 through 9. The meditation of a heart that is ascending into communion with God as the pilgrim's feet ascend the path to the holy mountain of God, Mount Zion. But there's a tragedy in this psalm because the peace which this psalmist so ardently desires for this city that he so ardently prays for was not the destiny of that earthly Jerusalem. We have this sobering reading from 2 Chronicles today. Its priests and its people did not take up their calling to ascend with the heart as they did with their bodies. Indeed, infected as we all are with the rebellion of Adam, they could not take up this calling. The pilgrimage for the Israelites was supposed to function just like circumcision. Circumcision was always meant to be the outward sign of dedication to the Lord and belonging to his people that paralleled an inward dedication of heart. When the covenant is renewed prior to entry into the Holy Land in Deuteronomy, Moses proclaims, circumcise your hearts and do not harden your hearts against the Lord. And when the psalmist called the people of Israel to repentance and its leaders to repentance and its priests to repentance, what do they say? Circumcise your hearts and not your bodies only. And yet our reading from 2 Chronicles 36 tells us that all the officers of the priests and the people were exceedingly unfaithful. They did not give their allegiance to God. And they filled Israel with the abominations of the pagan practices of the nations. They even polluted the house of the Lord with these abominations. This house of the Lord that's so precious to the psalmist. He goes on to say that the Lord had compassion and patience upon his people. For the sake of his dwelling place, he sent his messengers, the prophets, to call everyone to repent. But the priests and the people despised the word of the Lord and they scoffed at his prophets. And the Lord gave Jerusalem over to the Babylonians. And they burned down the wall of Jerusalem. And they burned all of its palaces with fire. And they destroyed all of its precious vessels. And they put everyone to the sword. And those that they did not put to the sword, they took into exile and into slavery. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the position of the Israelites who so loved this city, who so loved this temple, watching it burn, being carried into exile. Psalm 137 gives us this powerful, awful portrait of the people lamenting, lamenting their exile, lamenting all that they have lost. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. And their captors tormented them. Hey, sing us one of your songs of Zion. But how, they say, shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How will we do that? We can no longer make the ascent. We can no longer make the pilgrimage. How can we sing the songs of ascent? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, O city of peace, if I forget your peace, let my right hand forget its skill and my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. But in the midst of exile, as they prayed these psalms, as they continued to pray them, a hope 
was rekindled for a Jerusalem, a city of peace, a Zion that would never fade, where the presence of God would be so intensely concentrated, where the hearts of his people would be so flooded with his shalom that his law would be written on their hearts as the prophet Jeremiah prophesies. A Zion so wonderfully and gorgeously restored that its shalom would extend to all of the nations, not to Israel alone, but to all of the nations. And the pattern of the temple, which on its outer, most outer corridor had the court of the Gentiles, that that would be true. That his blessing would extend all the way to the nations, to the Gentiles, bringing repentance and hope as far as the curse of Adam is found. And that the nations would come in and they would bring their gifts upon the Lord's altar. As it says that, it, that they will in Isaiah 40 and again in Isaiah 60. And the story of the gospel is that beyond all hope, this has somehow happened in Jesus Christ. God has become one of us in Christ his presence has flooded Jesus, and because of that, it has also flooded us who are united to him by faith and by baptism. What a miracle. What a miracle. That is the gospel. For all of those, for all of those of us who are united to Christ by faith and baptism, the presence of God dwells in us more intensively than it did even in the temple. Can you believe that this morning? That is the gospel. And those who belong to Christ have citizenship in the heavenly Jerusalem, whose center is the new temple, Christ. And it is from him that all of God's shalom, his blessing, the fullness of his presence, goes forth to the nations. And as we gather here every Sunday, the fullness of that presence is here with us. Can you believe that this morning? That is the gospel. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, our reading this morning, he says, We have ascended with Christ and we have been seated in the heavenly places with him. We have been seated in the thrones of judgment in that heavenly Jerusalem with him. That is who you are. That is whose you are this morning. That is the gospel. And we pray, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray that the fullness of that heavenly Jerusalem would become present in its fullness here among us on this earth, who are on pilgrimage in this earth. We pray for it every time. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So if we're seated in the heavenly places already, why do we need the Psalms of Ascent? Why do we need Psalm 122? It's because our lives, just like the life of the psalmist and the life of the Israelites, have the character of a pilgrimage. And St. Paul the one who told us that we are already seated in the heavenly places tells us no less in Philippians chapter 3 that this does not mean that we have already arrived. No. We have a long journey ahead of us. We have a sacred act of religious devotion to offer and we must endure until the end. 
That is the race that we have to run, my brothers and sisters, this morning and every day. The gift of grace that has been given to us in Christ, the gift of being seated in the heavenly places with him, must work its way through us until it becomes the whole of who we are. We must make the ascent to the Lord in our hearts. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. He wants to know the righteousness of God that is his by faith, so that he may also share in Christ's sufferings, so that he may become like him in his death, that he may attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, that he may faithfully endure until the end, that he may complete his earthly pilgrimage. He is not yet perfect, he goes on to say, but he presses on because Christ Jesus has made him his own. And likewise, brothers and sisters, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he has made you his own. You belong to him. You have, hit, you have citizenship in that heavenly Jerusalem. And that is your destiny. If with patient endurance you hold on and you complete your pilgrimage. And so St. Paul tells us that we have this heavenly, his heavenly citizenship and it's worth it to press on. To continue to make this ascent in our earthly pilgrimage. Because when we arrive, we will belong. We will have the fullness of that communion with our heavenly family, the church. We will have that fullness of communion and peace, shalom, that the psalmist prays for. We will have that. That will be our possession. And that's why I think Paul tells us later on in Ephesians chapter 5 to speak to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. Because these are songs for the journey. They remind us over and over again of the end for which we are made and for which we are striving. And these are songs that if we pray them, if we recite them, if we memorize them, if we commit them to our hearts, if they become the language of our hearts, they will renew us in our endurance if our hearts are downcast. If our energies are flagging, these are the songs for you. And lastly, Psalm 122 reminds us how good it is, what a privilege it is to be the people of God worshiping in the house of the Lord. Even now when we assemble, we participate in the glory of the heavenly Jerusalem. Christ is present and we acclaim him in the assembly as we will for all eternity. In just a few minutes, Father Jonathan is going to lead us in our Eucharistic prayer, which begins, The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Make these psalms your psalms. Memorize them and commit them to your hearts so that, that those words can be true for you. And remember, brothers and sisters, when we assemble together, when we gather to worship the Lord, the Lord is here and his spirit is with us. Memorize verse 1 of Psalm 122 this week. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us be joyful, brothers and sisters, and let us make our ascent in our hearts to the Lord. Amen.